Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Monday, August the 17th, 2020, titled, Is Henry Cavill's Return as Superman DC Fandom's Announcement Surprise Panel? We're glad that you're joining us, guys. Remember, you can also submit a comment or question to be read on the live questions part of the show by simply using the tip link in the description of this podcast. That's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. One of my favorite shows of the past decade or show or so, not the best show on TV, but it has just been one that I have thoroughly enjoyed is Supernatural. I love that show. I, I think it's great. Jensen, Jensen Ackles, uh, Jared Pilecki, they've been created, of course, by Eric Kripke, who's also the creator of The Boys. And, you know, that show is coming to an end. After 15 seasons, 15 seasons, the show is coming to an end. Oh, I remember when that show started, Rob, you had Jensen Ackles was uh, but a, a lad. He was but a young looking lad in that. He's now 42 years old. And still doing this show. And now he has lined up his next one. We yeah. just mentioned that the creator of Supernatural, Eric Kripke, he is, of course, the, the showrunner for The Boys as well. Well, guess what, guys? Jensen Eccles is going over to join The Boys Season 3, which I could not be more happy about and I could not be more excited about. And here's the funny thing. Now, check this out. We're, I'm going to read this a little bit at length here. Okay, so Supernatural star Jensen Eccles is jumping from one Eric Kripke show right to another. The actor is joining the cast of The Boys in the third season. Eccles and Amazon Prime Video announced on Monday. I keep wondering what I'll do when CW Supernatural finally ends this year, he wrote on his Instagram account. Then it hit me. Now, this is the, where it gets interesting. Ackles will portray Soldier Boy, a.k.a. the original superhero in that streaming universe. After Soldier Boy fought in World War II, sound familiar so far? Uh, fought in World War II, he became the first super celebrity and a mainstay of American culture for decades. Now, of course, if you're thinking that sounds a little bit like Captain America, well, of course. But it seems like every character on the boys is the mirror universe version of somebody else. So you got black noir is kind of their Batman character. Queen Maeve is obviously their wonder woman. Homelander is obviously Superman. The deep is obviously Aquaman on and on and on. And now we got our Marvel looking guy in that. Now, why this is really particularly interesting is because maybe you may not know this, but when they were casting for captain America, the first Avenger, Obviously, they went with Chris Evans, and he was a fantastic choice. He was great as Captain America for so long, but Jensen Ackles was one of the runner-ups to play that. So there's something rather poetic here, Rob, that we get him now, years later, he's going to play a Captain America-style figure. So this is, to me, great news. You get, you know how much I love this show, The Boys. Oh, I yes. cannot wait for season two to start. And then they announce that they're going to do season three, even before season two airs. And now we find out uh, Jensen's going to be a part of that, playing a Captain America kind of figure. I think this is fantastic and wonderful on so many different levels. Anyway, Rob, you heard this news. What do you think about it? Well, I mean, I, I love the idea that, first of all, the season three is probably coming sooner rather than later, which is terrific because the boys is one of the most anticipated shows for me in the next couple months coming out. Um, I'm excited that they're delving into the past uh, going more and we'll, we'll find out. I'm sure there's going to be 
you know, like in Watchmen, we got that great flashback episode where we find out about the origin of Hooded Justice. Uh, I can't wait to see more of the alternate history of the boys universe. Maybe we'll see from before World War II, World War II, and all the way up to the present day. I mean, I can only imagine what this is going to be like. And all it just feels delicious to me. I can't wait to uh, put it in my mouth and chew it up. <laughs> it, it does sound great. Now, of course, you know, Seth Rogen, who's one of the producers of the show, was mentioning that they have no idea when they're going to be able to shoot this show. Right. Uh, the season three. But still, it is great to hear that they've lined him up. I think this is fabulous news. Question for you guys is, what do you think about this? Him joining the boys season three as soldier boy, their Captain America alternate, I suppose. I think it's fantastic. Maybe you've got some concerns about it. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's do one more thing off the top. And that is this. Now, I discussed this briefly on open mic on the weekend, but I, I thought we would talk about it here again, Rob, since you're here now and, and, and we should get a little bit more into it. But one of the movies that was coming out on Netflix, and you guys know how I feel about Netflix, amazing, fantastic, high caliber television series that they <clears throat> constantly cra uh, crank out. Not so great on their original movies. They've struggled. I think that's fair to say they struggled. For every one Irishman, there have been 40 or 50 totally forgettable, low-quality, trash-em, throw-em-away movies. Uh, then we got uh, Old Guard last month, which I actually quite enjoyed. I mean, I, I really enjoyed Old Guard. One that we've been looking forward to, though, ever since the trailer dropped, was the Jamie Foxx, Joseph Gordon-Levitt film Project Power. Uh, it came out on Friday, I believe, is when it came out. I watched it immediately. Now, as you can see right now, it doesn't have the best critic or audience ratings. It's got a 62% critic rating, which isn't bad. I mean, it's still fresh. <clears throat> that means the majority of the critics like it. And 57% audience rating. Again, not horrible. It does mean more than half the people liked it. There you go. So this movie comes out. And Rob, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I did not think this was a good movie. I, I didn't think I think it was a terrific premise because, you know, we saw the trailer and you and I reviewed the trailer for Project Power on this show. Sure. And we both loved the idea, the concept. It had a little bit of that uh, Bradley Cooper film Limitless. Limitless. Had a little bit of a limitless feel. But the idea was you take this pill and you get a superpower for five minutes and each person has a superpower for them. Like if so, if you take the pill twice, you're going to get the same superpower. But. You take a pill, you get a power for five minutes, really interesting concept, really interesting setup. I got into watching the movie and I found that that's all it was. It, it was just concept and it was never really properly fleshed out. I, I just found it a little bit tedious to get through. There are some highlights. Um, Jamie Foxx, I thought was great in it. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, we haven't seen him a lot lately and it was really good. And I always love seeing Joseph Gordon-Levitt on screen. I'm forgetting the name of her name right now. She's one of the newcomers, the girl who, who plays the dealer that's joins up with them. She was really good. Actually, I really, really quite, good. I quite enjoyed her in it. There are certainly some moments and some scenes that are interesting, but overall, I thought the villain's evil, nefarious, mustache-twirling plot was lame. Um, it broke all senses, if I may borrow from you for a moment, Rob, of verisimilitude. There was absolutely no verisimilitude in this. 
Um, and just overall pretty disappointing. I'm not going to call it an absolute crap show of a movie, uh, of a film, because it does have some redeeming elements. And I, I don't think somebody is totally wasting their time to go and watch it. But for me, it once again highlighted what we generally get from Netflix original films. Low quality, lowest common denominator, rush it out the door. I mean, this is actually filmed years ago and all that kind of stuff, but you know what I mean? They go for Netflix original movies. They seem to go for quantity rather than quality. And it, it was just another one of those instantly forgettable uh, kind of something you can watch the past the time, but nothing anybody's going to be really all that excited about. Although again, the majority of the critics do like it. A slight majority of the audience seems to like it, but I, I was quite disappointed with it, especially after such an excellent trailer. Rob, you had a chance to watch Project Power. What are your uh, impressions of it? Well, I have to say that I'm very mixed on this movie. First of all, uh, there is now a trend that Netflix has started, and I think, and it's all about the premise. Remember back in post-1988 where we got a bunch of different Die Hard clones? It's Die Hard on a bus, speed. It's Die Hard on a boat under siege so they use this diehard premise the every man gets involved over his head with don't forget diehard don't forget diehard on a plane with passenger 57 diehard on a plane always been on black a passenger 57 now we're seeing these genre pastiches which from a premise when you walk into a room and you pitch these things now what if it was lord of the rings but in the modern day and and one of the orcs was a cop you know and we'll do that story so that's bright now we've got the old guard. It's Highlander. But what if what if the immortals were actually super or soldiers, like special ops soldiers? And in this, it's like, what if we have superheroes, but it's at street level crime, but it's and all of these stories are you just take one thing and another that are sort of incongruous and you put them together. And that pitch sounds really good. And I think that in the case of this movie, the premise is easily understood. You know, they use other elements like, oh, it's limitless, but instead of an hour, you get it for five minutes. And I, I like the fact that it's kind of this, this more dystopian New Orleans. I thought they really used the New Orleans location where they shot this. Um, I thought it was really effective. It was very grungy, and you really, you really felt it. Um, and I, Jamie Foxx is, I think, one of the most underappreciated performers in movies today. I, yes. Always like Jamie Foxx. I mean, first of all, he's, he's, he's almost ageless. I keep thinking about how I, I loved Michael Mann's Miami Vice, the film version of Miami Vice. He was great in that. I love Jamie Foxx. I love his presence. I love watching him. I think he's a, a, a pretty electrifying performer. He's very physical. I mean, sometimes his line readings get a little monotone based on his character. But this film, once you've moved beyond the premise of, of uh, this you know, the street level idea about peddling this drug, it becomes the most formulaic, ordinary. I mean, even though the overarching conspiracy element of it, I mean, I, I was thinking about things like RoboCop 2, where we're going to sell the drug nuke, you know, that was 30 years ago. And, and, and they're not the premise, the, the, the genre pastiche idea. I'm sure when you go and pitch these things, everyone's like, wow, man, that's awesome. That sounds great. But beyond that, the stories themselves haven't lived up to their genre pastiche premises. And, and I find it 
I mean, I don't know what other kind of stories that you're going to tell. It's also easy to understand. It's more, it's easier to make. And the character relationships are, are very easy to come by. And I, I just feel that, that while I love mid-level, I mean, these are true B movies. These are the successors to the movies New Line was making in the eighties, like movies like the hidden, you know, where, where, where if you've ever seen the hidden, you've got these two aliens chasing each other, but they're actually on, on earth and they take the bodies of human beings and they continue their, 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 their chase. And I love those movies, but they're clearly B movies and they, they class up their premises by the, by the premises by, by look, I thought this movie was well directed. I thought it was well shot, but it was so, it, it, it was just so in a way by the numbers and, they gave us a lot of interesting stuff, but oh, okay, it's a conspiracy to put put poor people down, or we're going to destabilize governments. I mean, p- take take your conspiracy theory pick and just insert it in. The script felt just paint by numbers, the same way that Bright did, and to a certain extent, the Old Guard, which I liked, but it was still, again, the same thing that we've seen before, over and over again. Yeah, and and it is unfortunate because like I I, th- I think it's fair to say you and I both really like the trailer. We thought that there was yeah, a I lot mean, of promise there. And John, I liked watching it, uh, but I knew where it was going to go after the first five minutes. Mm. None of it All surprised right. me. Question is, guys, what did you think about Project Power? If you've had a chance to check it out so far, maybe you're one of those people who actually you quite enjoyed it. Like I said, there are a number of critics and fans who do like it. Maybe it worked better for you. What are those things that worked for you? Maybe it didn't work for you. What are the things that didn't? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campy Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampyshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, let's move on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Samuel Pole, who writes... We knew it was coming, but now it's official. DC just announced that all of their original DC Universe shows are headed to HBO Max. Now, the only question is what happens to the DC Universe? What do they pivot into? A cheaper subscription comic book library, maybe $5 a month, or just shut it down altogether? What are your thoughts? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, we have talked about this for months now, Rob, ever since like the HBO Max thing really became a real tangible thing that it was coming. Then while the signs were were clearly painted on the wall, and we've talked about this for a long time, that the DC Universe streaming app, as it was conceived, was going to be no more, probably fairly soon. Uh, it especially became a high point when they got rid of their annual subscriptions. They started canceling shows. We started to see some of their original exclusive content no longer going to be exclusive. But now the nail in the coffin has been delivered as as it has been announced that they are shutting it down. This comes to us from Nerdist who writes, uh, Lee, that's Jim Lee, the CCO, the chief creative officer over at DC Comics. Lee confirmed that original content that is on the DC Universe app is migrating to HBO Max. That means in addition to Doom Patrol and Harley Quinn, Young Justice, 
and Titans will move to the new platform as well. Several new DC series have already been announced for the streamer, including a Green Lantern series. Lee suggests that the current DC Universe app is transforming and will likely stay the virtual home for thousands of comics. So, number one, what DC Universe was supposed to be from its inception, this alternative streaming entertainment channel where you can watch all this DC-related content from old TV shows. I believe even the old Wonder Woman show was on there. I mean, all the old shows, all the new movies, and of course, new content as well. It started to struggle. They started canceling things. But man, they've got a couple of big winners on there. Doom Patrol, love it. Their Harley Quinn series, love it. Uh, other people love a lot of the other stuff that's on there as well. But it also does sound like the app as it is will still probably be in existence in one form or another. The app as it is will probably stay in existence in, in one form or another. So there will probably be, they'll probably pivot it into a more of a broader scale DC Comics app. And then that's just what it will, it'll be. I thought, Rob, there was a possibility that they might actually also absorb the comics aspect into HBO Max as well. Granted, that I guess in hindsight, that wouldn't have been as good of a fit as just transmuting all their live content over there. So it'll probably just become its own standalone comic app. But there's already a DC comic app. So maybe they just merge those into them. But anyway, Rob, doesn't really seem like this is any surprise here. Uh, but now that they have confirmed that all the original content is moving off, it's going over to HBO Max. What are your thoughts? Well, as you and I have talked about, it was sort of an inevitability what I do like is that the content hopefully will continue on. We'll get more Doom Patrol, hopefully. Maybe we'll get more Titans. I, I Maybe they'll bring Swamp Thing back. I mean, I think for fans of these shows and to keep people working, I think it's great. But again, in our post-COVID world, when are these new shows going to get made? But it's nice that they have a home. Um, I, I, I do feel that th there's a lot of things going on with these platforms that I feel sometimes are kind of ill-considered, like they don't have a long-term plan. Obviously, there's this great programming that exists. Why wouldn't they move it over? Uh, DC Universe is completely redundant in the, in the light of, of HBO Max starting. It, we, we knew that was always going to go away. But it's almost like, I feel like it's almost a bait and switch for customers because they they don't, when these things are obvious, if they're obvious to us six months ago, we're talking about them on the show, I always feel they don't treat their customers very well. I mean, they should give everybody a free HBO Max subscription for a while and and they should inform everybody and and keep people, you know, enlightened as to what's happening. And they never do. And I always feel like, OK, we know this is going to happen, but you've got a loyal customer fan base that's been with you probably since the beginning. And don't you owe them a little bit more, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, look, on the one hand, what I understand is that you've created some interesting content. Like I'm not a fan of Titans. I didn't like Titans, but, but it did appeal to a number of people. They sure. tried some different things between Swamp Thing, which they canceled after the first episode. So I never understand. Uh, they came out with Stargirl, another show I didn't like, but it's got its fan base. There are people who really do quite like it. I loved what they did. They listen, they rolled the dice. And to be fair, I think Rob, one of the things I'll look back on the, the DC universe app and what its legacy may be is that I think the DC Universe's app's legacy is going to be it gave Warner a platform 
to try some experimental things that they may not even have tried on HBO before. Like when you look at Doom Patrol, that show is psychotic. If you sat in a pitch room and pitched what this show is, I think everybody, including me, is going to look at you like, what the F are you talking about? But it's brilliant. And I feel like DCU gave them a playground, gave them a sandbox that they could bring these concepts that maybe never would have cut the mustard on an HBO Max or any other type of network. A Harley Quinn animated, strictly hard R animated show that maybe wouldn't have been given a chance or the time of day on something like an HBO Max or something. And it gave them an opportunity to test out these types of shows and see that, you know what? These things can really work. So I'm thinking, Rob, maybe, and maybe I'm just being optimistic, maybe the long-term legacy of DCE or the DCU, DC Universe app, is going to be that it opened the doors for a lot of very bonkers and different kind of content that maybe now the people at Warner won't be so adverse to trying out on their main flagship networks. I mean, you never know, because they really hit it out the park with a couple things. I think that's a really good point. I mean, you know, that's the possibilities of the shows between the boys, between Doom Patrol, between the Umbrella Academy, uh, the, 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 what, what people think of at the executive level is definitely expanding. And that only means great stories coming down the pike in the future. All right. So the question for you guys is, what do you think? I mean, obviously, this is no longer this didn't surprise anybody. (laughs) This announcement that they're now moving all their shows over, not a surprise to anybody. Did it happen maybe sooner than you thought? What do you think the long term legacy of that DCU will be? And how do you think these new shows are going to do on an HBO Max? Hopefully really well. Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Oliver Montgomery. And Oliver Montgomery writes, Hi, John and Rob. I know you both uh, looked Aquaman. Well, we did both look at Aquaman, but we liked it too. I know you both liked Aquaman. Uh, One of my favorite scenes was the trench. That was pretty cool. It was really different for a comic book movie. Wondering if you saw that James Wan is saying that he intends to bring more horror elements into Aquaman 2. Do you think this is a good decision, uh, good decision, or should they keep it more family friendly? Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, the trench was one of the absolute most unique scenes in Aquaman, because when you look at Aquaman, it is jovial. It's a little wacky. uh, It's got a certain tone to it. And then we get to the trench and you can legitimately call that a horror sequence. That whole sequence was straight out of a horror movie, a la James Wan. It it absolutely was. Anyway, recently James Wan was asked if he would bring more horror elements into the next Aquaman, and this is what James Wan said. He said, just like the first movie had a touch of my horror sensibility in it, in regards to the trench sequence, I would say there will be a little bit of that in the next one. I think it's something that's a big part of who I am, and it just naturally comes out in these types of films, and especially a movie like Aquaman, where the story takes place in these underwater worlds that can be very scary. So naturally, my love for the horror genre just means that I latch myself onto these scenes and try to give them a little bit more of my scary sauce. And that comes to us from James Wan. Now, listen, one of the things that I really quite liked about one of the smart things I think they did in Aquaman is the fact that that trench sequence 
Robs, we often will compare like movie making to a chef, you know, putting together their recipe, the right ingredients at the right time. And to me, that trench sequence was a nice dash of spice in something that just gave the movie more depth of flavor, if, if you know what I'm saying. It just gave it a different element, a different angle, and it broke up what could have become a, monot- uh, a, a little bit of a monotonous kind of feeling of one tone all the way through. Instead, it went in there. It changed the gears of the movie. It kept us as an audience on our toes a little bit because it's on top of giving us some nice, delightful material. It was also throwing us curveballs at the same time, which is what I thought the trench was. And like James Wan said, this is really just kind of par for the course for him. This is in his DNA. This sort of stuff is what he does. So why not lean into your strengths, even if that's not what the movie is as a whole. So I, for one, am glad to hear that coming into Aquaman 2, that he's going to kind of rely more on those elements again. I thought it benefited the first film quite a bit. Rob, you hear this from James Wan. Is it a good thing to do or should they lean away from that and maybe go a little bit more steady with the tone they're going for? How do you see it? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, as you as you know, I mean, I loved Aquaman because I, I thought, again, it was utterly bonkers and how it leaned into its crazy Harryhausen-esque fantasy. Um, but I think I liked that trench sequence in the movie. It was uh, terrifying. It was cool. I mean, sea monsters are definitely a part of, of any kind of mythology when it comes to, comes to the ocean. And I, I don't have a problem. I don't know if I'd want to see a full-on, full-blown Aquaman horror movie. But if anybody could make it cool, I think James Wan could make it cool. But adding a more horrific element, I mean, the deep, the monsters of the deep are scary. There's scary stuff there. And if Aquaman has to confront the darker elements of the undersea world, I'm all for it. As long as it's, again, well-written and uh, we got great characters and who knows what monsters lurk beneath the waves. I'm curious to find out. I don't know if I want to see it dominate an Aquaman movie but I could be wrong if it turns out to be really good. Yeah, I, but I'm, I'm with you on that. I feel like dashing it in there, like a little dash of it here, a little dash of it there, it just gives a better overall texture of the film. It makes it a more complex film. Yeah. You know, even though you think, wait, it's, it's a comic book movie. I, yeah, but by doing little things like that, I think James Wan gives it more complexity. It gives it more depth. It gives it more things to appreciate about it. And again, like I said, I, I like it when directors change the gears in the movie they change levels and they keep us on our toes and that's one of the things i thought was a real strength of that aquaman movie and one of the reasons i enjoyed it question is for you guys what do you think about that do you think that ah you know you've already kind kind of done the horror element thing you shouldn't do it again in aquaman maybe you feel like us it's like you know you're talking about the depths of the ocean you could have some amazing horrifying things down there how do you feel about that jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Alicia Brath, who writes, Hello, movie crew. Uh, I was, and still am, really excited for DC Fandom, which is, of course, coming up on the 22nd on Saturday. So when the schedule came out, I went through it so fast, and they really have some great stuff lined up. But yesterday, I went over it again and noticed how short all of the quote-unquote panels are. The Aquaman panel with James Wan is 10 minutes. The Harley Quinn panel is 10 minutes. The Snyder Cut panel 
is a little bit more reasonable. 25 minutes. What? I thought these were going to be legit panels. 10 minutes is really the length of an announcement. I'm still excited, but the Comic-Con at home panels were nearly an hour. So what's up? Thanks uh, for the hours of entertainment every day. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. Appreciate that. And yeah, I listen just to put this all set this up in context. Okay. Comic-Con at home, which was not a success partially there are a number of different reasons why it was not a success number one there was just not awareness people didn't realize on mass that it was really happening number two it's a total departure from what comic-con normally is number three they didn't have the a lot of the high profile stuff there i mean there are a million different reasons why it was not a big success and i, I applaud them for trying it since they couldn't do the live event but i i guarantee you they're very anxious to get back to doing what they do best which is a live event but that being said they did put on a few panels that, Rob, I thought were excellent. Case in point, their panel for The Boys Season 2 was an hour long, and it was fantastic. The discussions, the stories, the perspectives, you had all the cast there talking. They gave us a glimpse of Season 2 to come. It was a true panel. It was wonderful, and I was thoroughly entertained watching the whole thing. It was truly a fan event because as a fan, it was giving me everything I wanted. They answered some fan-related questions. They addressed a bunch of things. They told behind-the-scenes stories. It just felt immersive and wonderful, even though it was a virtual, but I felt plugged in. And then even if you look at something like they did uh, The New Mutants, Right now, I think the New Mutants one was a half hour, which still would be the longest panel at DC Fandom, by the way. <laughs> if if New Mutants had been at DC Fandom, it would be the longest panel. Half hour. But again, you had the whole cast on there. They were talking about, you know, you know what certain things meant to them. They gave us a, a look at the property, all that kind of stuff. It truly felt like it was there to service the fans. It felt like it was there to service the fans. Now... When you look at the schedule for DC fandom, there's some great looking stuff. Look at that. They kick off with Wonder Woman 84, a panel for Wonder Woman 84, ladies and gentlemen. That's what they are kicking off the event with. Fantastic. It's 25 minutes. So it's less than half of the length of the boys panel was. It's shorter than even the new mutants was, but I mean, 25 minutes isn't terrible. 20, 25 minutes, at least there. But then you've got things like uh, we've got Batman. We've got look at the Joker. We got Jim Lee doing some behind the, th uh, the behind the scenes things. We've got the Snyder cut panel, which is, of course, the one that I think a lot of people are going to be looking forward to. Uh, that's going to be Saturday at 2.45 p.m. But Rob, with all of the years of drama and everything that's gone on behind this thing you'd think they could do more than 25 minutes but at, at any rate that's the next longest one let's just put this in perspective shall we here are some of the big key panels that are going to be happening at dc fandom aquaman it's 10 minutes 10 minutes ask harley quinn it's going to be the harley quinn show 10 minutes black adam that we've literally been waiting for for five years. Five years! 
We've been waiting for Black Adam. And now they're going to do a panel at DC Fan. And we're going to have this. It's 15 minutes long. It's 15 minutes. Again, Snyder Cut, Wonder Woman, more reasonable. Although I would have liked to have seen these be hour-long things to really get some stories and to hear about the enthusiasm for all the people involved. Answers a lot of questions from the audience. Really make it a fan event. But they're 25 minutes. Again, not horrible, but not great. The Flash movie. The Flash movie that has gone through four sets of directors, three sets of writers, four different release dates, Ezra choking women. I mean, that with all the things that they've gone through, and you know what they're giving The Flash? Ten minutes. It's a ten-minute panel. Shazam! Which I, I think, honestly, is my second favorite, right behind, obviously, Man of Steel. But I think Shazam is probably my second favorite DCEU movie. It was beloved by critics and audiences. They've got one film under their belt. They're going to be doing another one. They're going to have so much to talk about. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. I don't understand the, the philosophy here. Like, you sell this thing. You say this thing, I should say. You say this thing is, you know... Your love letter to the fans. This is for the fans, they said. This is for the fans. Well, where's where's the fan interaction? Where's taking the time to take in questions from the audience? Where's the time to let The Rock come out here or, or Patty Jenkins or whatever to talk about behind the scenes and what's going on with it and where they're at and where they're heading and take some questions from the audiences? Rob, I looked at this and you know, I think the concept of doing DC fandom is a great idea. You know, there's no Comic-Con this year. You show you show how to do a virtual event, right? Obviously, Comic-Con at home dropped the ball. It's not what they do. DC fandom putting together this huge online thing. It was a great idea, a great concept. But Rob, you don't even have to fly your stars out to San Diego and put them up in hotels and tie up days of their time to be there. All they got to do is get on a webcam and talk. I under, From what I understand, it's all pre-recorded. It's all pre-recorded. And you're saying it's for the fans. Okay, we'll give the fans what they're looking for. Give them The Rock telling stories. Give us Zack Snyder giving like a full overview of what brought him to this point. Give us, you know, the the the, the Muschietti and whoever else his neck the next director of Flash might be to come on and talk about where he picked things up and why he's excited about it and take questions from the audience. And it's it takes no effort. It takes no effort. Your stars don't even have to be there. Henry Cavill could be on a plane, and let's just pretend this controller as a phone. Henry Cavill could be on a plane and just open up his Zoom app. Do, do, do. Okay. Hey, everybody, I'm coming to you from blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's all you need to do. It doesn't take any energy. It doesn't take any effort that's pre-recorded. I just don't get why you're putting in so much effort for, let's call what it is, a fantastic look and event. Why they did, like, the marketing for this thing's been great. They've created these virtual rooms and this hall of heroes, and they've put all this great work into it. But really, at the end of the day, it's just enough time to make an announcement. That's it. Anything they could have done in a press release. And I just don't get why, with such a passionate fan base that the DC world has always had, 
When you've got this opportunity and it takes no energy or effort, why don't you give them what they're asking? Why don't you give them what they're wanting? Give us them telling stories and background and talking about their feelings about and taking questions from the audience. This is like literally, Rob, you and I were talking before this thing started. It's going to take seven minutes just to do the introductions and welcomes. And then we got three minutes left. It's like, hey, everybody, thanks for being here. We got a new movie coming. Okay, bye. I, I, I just don't get it. I like that the Snyder Cut one is 25 minutes. That should have been an hour. Wonder Woman 84, okay, 25 minutes to a half hour. Again, I would have preferred an hour. But Rob, when you go back at this again, Aquaman, 10 minutes? Flash movie, 10 minutes? Black Adam that we've been waiting for for five years, 15 minutes? This isn't a fan of it. This is no, you cannot tell me now that this is for the fans. This is just a press release in video form. It's now it's just a press release in video form. And I'm sure, Rob, I have no doubt they're going to announce some exciting stuff. They're going to announce some highly anticipated stuff. I'm sure they're going to announce some things that are going to make us cheer. But they're just going to be announcements. It's just don't call these fan events. Don't even call these panels. These aren't panels. This is a quick press release. And I wish they were doing more, especially when we consider it looks like they've built such an amazing looking event. Why not take advantage of it? Anyway, Rob, I, I, it's frustrating. I think it's frustrating. I, I personally find it kind of frustrating. But any Rob, you take a look at this. You've probably got a completely different point of view than me on this. What do you think about uh, these lengths of these panels that we're seeing? No, I, I actually don't. I, I think this is this is a, a, a perfect example of a marketing department that has no real understanding of its audience. Look, you're, you're dealing with a world now where I participated in the main, the third mainframe Comic-Con that's happened, virtual Comic-Con that's happened in quarantine. The panels are either half an hour or an hour long. They, they up them to an hour. We just saw Justice Con, which is a, a, a fan-run convention devoted to the Snyder Cut, where all the panels were much longer, and Zack Snyder himself came on these panels. This was something created by a marketing department, and the people in the marketing department, I think, obviously – because of these panel lengths, as evidence, show a complete lack of understanding of any Comic-Con event that has come before. I mean, even San Diego. You know, these panels should be an hour, an hour and a half even. The, the, a Snyder Cut panel could, could have easily gone 90 minutes. And I think... Like you said, this is just a, a glorified press event, and they're using – they even put fan, the word fan, in the title of this. And I think in a way it's, it's really maddening to see something like this. On one hand, great. The intention is there. It's cool that we're getting this. But you know what? We live in a world where the online space, especially the fan online space, has grown far more sophisticated now. And when you have fan events – that are giving us better content than officially sanctioned DC events. I mean, a who a 10-minute panel? I mean, give me a break. Give me a break. What comic convention ever has a panel that lasts 10 minutes? None. And like you said, it's if you want to call it like uh, uh, you want to make it like D23 or something, at least D23, you know, we're here to promote everything Disney. You know, it's D23. They're not going Disney fans. I mean, it's for the fans. It's for everybody. But this is I, – I, this. I love this. I've been looking forward to this. But when I saw these lengths, I had a bad taste in my mouth. I'm like, oh, okay. So you really don't care about 
your very fans that you're supposed to be catering to. You're, you, you know, you came up with this idea and you're, it looks good on the corporate spreadsheet. Look what we've done for our brand. Well, have you really done anything? Because in the long run, your fans aren't stupid. They're like, what's up with a 10-minute panel? Give me a break. I mean, you have fans putting on a two-day convention just about the Snyder Cut, and DC can't give you more than 10 or 25 minutes with with the entire Snyder Cut thing? I mean, why is it that fans now are doing better things and, and better events than the very corporate minders that control these IPs? Yeah. I mean, that's problematic. Yeah, I, I agree. Now, to be clear, and I think you would agree with me on this, I think – I think Jason Momoa cares about the fans. I think Dwayne The Rock Johnson clearly cares about the fans. I think these directors, whether it's Patty Jenkins or, or Zack Snyder or what or Muschietti, I think they care about the fans. Hell yeah. I, but I think you're right. I think this is clearly something. I think what has become clear by the length of these panels is that this was an event not put together by Zack Snyder, not put together by Patty Jenkins, not put together by Dwayne. This was put together by the marketing department. Yeah. And the marketing department doesn't really care about the fans. And and that's that's fair and that's fine. The marketing departments, it's not their job to care about the fans. It's their job to promote. And as you see the length of these things, because again, let me bring this up again. This would have taken no effort because you didn't need to fly Jason Momoa into some city somewhere and put him up to a hotel and take up all his time. All you needed to do was get a couple of your stars to take out 45 minutes, and I'm I'm telling you, these actors would have done it. I guarantee you Jason Momoa would have said, oh yeah, talk to the fans for 45 minutes about Aquaman? Deadly. I don't even have to leave the house? Sure, man, I'll do it. I guarantee you these directors and these actors would have done it. And again, I just want to point you to this. It wasn't nearly as successful an event, but go and watch the Boy Season 2 panel. It was so much fun. It was truly for the fans. Well, yes, it I, served a marketing. It served a marketing thing as well. But when you watched it, Rob, you can truly tell it was for the fans. Well, I, I also think that this this marketing to me, this marketing, the marketing department is sleeping on the job because in our covid world, we have Josh Gad putting together the entire cast of beloved yes! films like yes! Lord of the Rings. And it's like, you know, you get everybody to show up. Everybody wants to show up. They you can see the joy. I mean, the Josh Gad stuff's a little too produced. Um, I like the sort of lo-fi version of the Zoom calls where everybody – they become very um, freewheeling and less controlled and they're more genuine. I mean apparently where is this DC marketing department? Have they not been paying attention about how fan and 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 celebrity interaction has changed over the last six months? I feel like we're looking at something that was – it, it, the, it was a good idea, but it was designed and implemented by people who are a year behind the times. And when you look at that, I would be like, uh, if I was a corporate minder at DC, I would be like, hey, man, have you not been paying attention to what's been going on with celebrity fan interaction in our post-COVID world? I mean, we've got how many examples of, of these kinds of – and these freewheeling hour-long conversations where uh, you get – like look at that picture of just everybody on the, the boys' panel. Everybody wanted to be involved. And and they want to be there because it's their colleagues and everybody's staying at home. They're bored. They have nothing to do. I mean look at this. Look at this group of people. You know, this is – this should be your benchmark. This is this is the bar that that if you're not living up to at least this bar, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? You're going to come on and, and it's going to be – I can only imagine, dude. It's going to be cringe. These 10-minute things are going to be the most 
they're going to be slick and they're going to be there's going to be graphics and they're going to be cool and you're going to learn it's it's going to be the same thing they would release to deadline it's just right. a press release but now and, th- that being said i do think they're going to i believe they're going to announce some very exciting stuff oh i do too look yeah. uh, no doubt they will absolutely do that but that's not enough anymore and you know the fan community that has been growing uh, over the last 25 years at Comic-Con the fact that how many people watch a trailer when it drops in the first 24 hours which is part of what your documentary is about the world has changed and I'll tell you something your audience has changed too and they're a lot more sophisticated and you owe them more than just 10 minutes of whatever press release you're giving them because fans are no longer just oh yes please sir may I have another no they want to know they're smart they want substance they want engagement and i don't think this is going to be that right now again it it comes down to we'll have to wait and see i mean i mean we'll see what they have in mind there but again i just don't see any reason considering how simple it's going to be just get somebody on zoom and to actually take a lot of fan questions and give the fans an inside feel like the like the the stars are there for them again i feel like if you left this up to the stars and the directors in the dcu i think we would have had these long fun interactive fan involved panels but i feel like it's just been now a thing of the marketing department again i expect we're getting some very very exciting announcements that we'll be talking about fervently i just think as an event it it could have been more than just a glorified press release anyway guys question is for you you see the length of these panels i mean at least wonder woman and the Zack snyder one get 25 minutes i think the batman is getting 30. I think the Batman one, if I read correctly, is getting the longest panel of the whole thing, uh, which is 30 minutes. But what do you think about this? Black Adam 15, Flash 10, Aquaman 10. What do you guys think about this? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our fourth and final main topic today, shall we? And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Jeff Dyer, who writes, John, like you, I'm hoping we get a Henry Cavill Superman announcement at DC Fandom. Wouldn't it be fun if we got a Henry Cavill Superman announcement at that thing? Uh, Have you seen on the schedule that there is a surprise DC panel scheduled Saturday, 45 minutes before the Snyder Cut panel? That seems interesting all right thanks a lot for sending that in man now first thing we should probably clarify is this is that yes on the panel listings there is a surprise panel listed but that is not movie related that is a surprise dc comics panel however there is another panel that is scheduled it's only 10 minutes but half the things are only 10 minutes it's only 10 minutes long But it is denoted as being to be announced, to be announced Saturday, August 22nd at 3.50, not 15.50 p.m. This is the secret one. They're playing close to best. There's another one again that is surprised, but it's a DC Comics thing. This one is not listed as DC Comics. It is just simply listed as to be announced. So they're doing something there, Rob. They're going to be doing something there. Now, you and I have talked about Last week, when the guest list came out and they said Henry Cavill was not going to be a part of this, I instantly said, 
Oh, I don't believe that for a second. Henry Cavill, who has been at the forefront of this whole thing, he was there with Zack Snyder as they announced that the Snyder Cut was moving to HBO uh, Max, which we predicted for months, by the way, and was moving to HBO Max. He was there with him. He's the guy everybody's talking about. He's Superman. Don't tell me he's not going to be there. And so we, you know, we speculated that we, again, no insider information. We were just speculating that we believe that he will be there and he'll be a surprise guest to make some kind of a surprise announcement. Now, as we get the schedule, we see that there is this to be announced panel at 3.50 p.m. in the afternoon. And of course, it raises the question of, is this going to be Henry Cavill's announcement that he's returning as Superman, whether returning as Superman in a Black Adam movie, returning as Superman in a Flash movie, or returning as Superman in a true Man of Steel sequel. Who knows? But it should be noted, Rob, that it is not the only possibility. There are other possibilities of what this thing could be. Like It may not be Superman at all. It very well may not be Superman or Henry Cavill related at all. So let's talk about what some of these possibilities may be, shall we? What is this big secret panel that's going on? Well, the first possibility, obviously the one I want to talk about, is that it, we're talking about Henry Cavill's return. I mean, that to me is the is the forefront. That to me is the real one that's on everybody's radar, that it's, it's probably going to be Henry Cavill. And they're announcing his return to Superman. Again, I don't know if that's really true. And if it is true, whether or not it's, he's Superman in somebody else's movie or his own, we don't know. But that's one of the possibilities. Another one of the possibilities, though, is that it could be new gods. Remember, they've been talking now for well over a year about director Ava DuVernay, who's really hot right now, about her new gods project. And, you know, we recently got new looks at Darkseid again, and he could be involved in New Gods and all this kind of stuff. That's a possibility. This secret panel at 3.50 p.m. on August 22nd could be New Gods. Another possibility, maybe a Green Lantern movie. Listen, there has been talk, obviously. They've been announced that they were going to be doing, you know, a Green Lantern show, right? Green Lantern show. But we haven't really heard anything about it since. Maybe, just speculating here, maybe they decided to change gears and they decided to go movie with Green Lantern. That's possible. Another possibility, Justice League 2. If you really wanted to drop a haymaker, if you really wanted to drop a, drop a bomb on people, you come out there and you announce Justice League 2, that, that'll get everybody talking. That would get everybody talking. Again, I'm not saying I, I think that's what they're going to do, but that's a possibility. Hey, why not? Another possibility might be Cyborg. Remember, one of the 35 canceled DC movies was supposed to be a Cyborg standalone movie, right? That was supposed to be one of them. I mean, maybe they decided to spin that one up again. I'm not saying I think that's likely, but it's a possibility. Or how about the Wonder Twins? Don't laugh. Don't laugh. And it may not even be a Wonder Twins movie. I mean, maybe CW for Wonder Twins. I mean, maybe you could do something ridiculous. Hey, by the way, guys, in the live chat, I want to hear from you right now. What are some of your things? Because I'll, I'll add them to the list here. You tell me some of the other things that you think might actually this special secret announcement could be 
what this thing could be and let us let me know and and maybe we'll uh, get the somebody is saying in the live chat uh green lantern uh the green lantern core is one uh what is uh oh yeah somebody else is saying zatanna in the live chat zatanna is a possibility too uh, some people are saying the reason somebody's saying Joker two. The reason I don't think it would be Joker two is because that's really outside of the DCEU. So I personally don't think. Uh, but you never know. Another one a lot of people are saying in here is uh, Batgirl, right? Because remember, Whedon was working on a Batgirl thing, then that kind of fell apart. Maybe they they are still moving on Batgirl. Um, some people are saying maybe it'll be Batfleck. I, I really don't think that's in the cards. I really don't. But oh my God, you want to see me urinate my pants? Announce that Ben Affleck is coming back as Batman. That's another one. So there there are a bunch of them here, guys, that has possibilities. I still think the main one, though, is Henry Cavill's return to Superman. Again, no insider information. I have no inside source that told me that that's happening. I have no evidence that that's what's happening. Strictly as a fan speculating. But I think that makes sense. Rob, you're looking at all this stuff. We've now, to nobody's surprise, we've got a secret to-be-announced panel, 10 minutes long, just enough time for an announcement, uh, coming up at DC Fandom. What do you think it's going to be? Could it be one of the ones we were just talking about? Do you think it could be another one altogether? What do you think it's going to be? Well, you know, you had a lot of, of good points to make, but I would say, okay, the whole purpose of this and we now know that it is basically a big press release. Um, you know, when studios do marketing, they have to justify the costs. I think what this is, is a clever way for them to use marketing dollars and get the most bang for their buck. But I think it all is surrounding whatever this new announcement is. They wanted a big splash. People are going to tune in. This is obviously the highlight of the day, whatever they're going to announce. So I think by doing this, it's got to be a marquee title. This this event, as far as DC is concerned, they've never done anything quite like this. And if they were to release, say, a Batgirl movie, well, that's okay. That's interesting. But you've got a Batman movie in production right now. You've got the Snyder Cut. We know that we're getting in 2021. We've got Wonder Woman 84 is already on the way. Flash and Aquaman are being made. So... I think you would need something even bigger than that to announce because otherwise if it isn't bigger than that it's all that whatever that announcement is is going to be overshadowed by the information of your bigger guns that you're covering anyway. I mean, if you're only giving Flash 10 minutes and you're only giving other movies 10 minutes and they're spending 25 minutes on an announcement of this caliber, it's got to be bigger than Flash. Who's bigger than Flash? Who's bigger than Wonder Woman? Who's bigger than Aquaman? And we already have a Batman movie being made. I'm going all in, man. It's Superman. It's Superman. It's the only thing that makes sense. And and I I like you said last week on the show, you were convinced, or you said you were. You, I will join you in in, in our little game of, of fan Texas Hold'em, and I'm going to go <laughs> all in, you know, all in after the flop or whatever. And uh, I, I do believe that the only thing that makes sense in this context is a Superman announcement of some kind. I would bet, if I was a betting man, they're going to announce a movie called Superman. Ooh, you even got a title for it. It's you know what? There's never been a movie called Superman. There's been Superman the movie. Right. That was nineteen. But there's never been a movie. You know, we saw 
Man of Steel, Man of Steel was we're, we're, we're seeing Superman being forged post Snyder's Justice League. The Superman that we know and love, he's already gone through his crucible of life and death, his home planet. And now he's finally become the Superman post Snyder Justice League that we know and love. For the very first time, Henry Cavill is going to be fully formed Superman. And I, why not? Wouldn't that be the most exciting thing that you could announce? AT&T, now that this merger's over and they control Warner Brothers, the executives at AT AT&T, what the hell do they know about the new gods? As exciting as we think that might be, executives at AT AT&T are going to be like, what? You give them the fourth world omnibus here. We're going to do the new gods. They're going to be looking at it going, what the hell is this? But you know what the AT&T executives know? They know Superman. Let me ask you this, Rob. Let's let's say for a second that you get a phone call. All right. You get a phone call from Henry Cavill later tonight. And he tells you, just I'm going to let you know, Rob, but this it's it's not a Superman thing. All right. Let's go over to this list of things we've got and the list that some of the fans just wrote in. So we got other things like uh, New Gods, Green Lantern movie, Justice League 2, which could also involve Henry Cavill as Superman. But yeah, uh, Cyborg, Wonder Twins, Green Lantern, Korra, Zatanna, Joker 2, uh, Batgirl, Batflick. It, it, let's just say you knew for a fact right now that it wasn't going to be a Superman related. Yeah. thing. What do you think the next likely scenario is of what it could be, if not Superman related? Well, gr- we know we're getting a Green Lantern series. They've already right. announced that cyborg we're going to see more of in in um uh justice league the snyder cut wonder twins out of no way the green lantern core again we're already seeing that zatanna who's that you know at&t executives who's zatanna uh joker 2 that's i would say that's a possibility um if it's not superman because look joker 2 made a billion dollars you have to think how does the corporation that owns warner brothers think now if they're going to make these announcements they want to make it it's going to be a sure thing to get that gets fans riled up and if it's joker 2 i'm willing to bet that there's a batman connection then they're going to say it's joker 2 and we're going to have this blah 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 whatever that is um that would be i think the, the on this list the biggest possibility because a billion dollars that's nothing to sneeze at <laughs> batgirl no batfleck maybe but they just announced you know uh ben affleck's going to make over at paramount the he's doing the making of chinatown movie that he's uh doing yeah not so, to mention he's also still he still has to finish that one he's doing with matt damon um the the, yeah. the french the french film about the final the duel, last the last the last duel, duel. Right? Uh, which is that directed, yeah, I was gonna say really Scott's doing that one. Um, so he's he's got kind of a big plate. But again, you want to see John Campia standing in place and then suddenly urinating himself. Tell me Ben Affleck is coming back as Batman. Well, that, I, mean, I, I think mean, that would be cool, too. I just don't think that that the, oh, no, the it's, problem it's highly they unlikely. Need, they want to make a splash. And I don't think there I don't think they really want to undercut what they think is going to be a new Batman trilogy with Robert Pattinson. So I think mm, that they would pull yeah. back. They've already announced Michael Keaton perhaps coming back for Flashpoint. And I, I, I think that they don't want to overshadow those things. And what they need is something new. And, and I think they're really into appeasing the fans. I mean, the Snyder Cut, that it's moving forward is something that, – that's the ultimate coup for DC fandom, I think. And they're going to want to give something that's even bigger than that. And 
the big the big the big man himself man you can't get bigger than superman cannot get bigger than superman all right guys the question for you then becomes what do you think this little secret announcement is good by the way it may not necessarily even be a feature film it, it might be a hbo max series that they announced right. or it could be uh theoretically it could be a cw show maybe but if you're gonna do something like to be announced secret panel I think it seems more like super. It could be something else. Anyway, I am so curious about your thoughts. I decided to make that the topic of today's question of the day. So just before we started the show today, I got on the community tab on the YouTube channel. By the way, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel here, guys. Click that subscribe button and keep up to date with everything that's going on. So anyway, we jumped into the community tab and we asked everybody just before the show started. Question of the day. DC Fandom has a surprise to be announced panel. What do you think it will be? Not what do you hope it will be? What do you think it will be? All right now, over 5,000 of you guys have already voted. And here's what you're saying. 7% of you are saying you believe it's going to be new gods related. 63% of you, a vast majority of you are saying you believe it's going to be Henry Cavill's return to Superman, either in somebody else's movie or in his own standalone movie. 8% of you think they're going to shift from HBO to the movie screen and do a Green Lantern movie. 5% of you think it could be a Justice League 2. And 16% of you guys think, hey, it's probably going to be something else in any of those things. That pan that poll is up there right now. You guys can go and find it. I'll leave it up there, of course, for you guys to go and participate in. But give me your thoughts, guys. What do you think that new panel is going to be? Jump down to the comment section below um, and let me know your thoughts. Yes, Rob. There's some breaking news. Oh, I love it when Rob has breaking news. Which is kind of wacky. Paramount is remaking planes, trains, and automobiles. Really? With, get this with Will Smith and Kevin Hart. No. Yes. With Will Smith and Kevin Hart. Yes. That sounds like something that would be a um, that would be a uh, uh, Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Kevin Hart thing. That's but I I think that yeah because you know the incongruity of the two characters. I mean, aside from their size difference. Will Smith and Kevin Hart seem similar in sort of temperament and and being, but um, there you go. I mean, it's it's they're they're gung ho on it, and uh, it, it dropped right as we went on the air. Well, guys, I mean that gives us something to talk about tomorrow. So, okay, that's uh, we'll we'll research this more. We'll get into it, get some more details, and, and we'll talk about this on the job. But that is that's big. Will Smith and Kevin Hart. Doing planes, trains, and automobiles. Again, I would have thought it would have been The Rock and uh, Kevin Hart if they did something like that. Anyway, guys, with all that down and out of the way, we are now going to move into our live questions part of the show to hear your thoughts and what you're thinking right now. Again, guys, if you want to get a comment or question on the live part of the show, Simply use the tip link in the top of the description of this video or enter it manually, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show and you'll be supporting this show at the same time. Okay, guys. Let's get into it as I turn on my air because we've got a heat warning here in town. All right. First one up. The other black guy writes, I really can't wait to get back to the theater. You and me both, brother. I'm even thinking about driving to Las Vegas to go see New Mutants in two weeks. Uh, even though people in my age range statistically and factually have a greater chance of dying from playing football than getting seriously sick from COVID, I'll wear my mask in order to be allowed in. Well, listen, here's the other thing. First of all, that's not statistically true, by the way. But... The main thing for like younger people, like if you're like not in retirement age or anything, don't forget you become an incubator. You become a transmitter. 
It's not about whether or not the chances are of you getting really sick and dying. The thing is you become one of those things that you're going to get other people sick. So please keep that in mind. The universe cannot function of here's the sun, here's me. You know, we can't look at life that way. But believe me, brother, you and I are, and all of us here are very much looking forward to getting back into the theater very so. So please, yes, take the right precautions, be mindful. And when you're doing things, remember, think to yourself that it is my responsibility to take care of the people around me. I'm going to be a man. I'm going to think of other people around me. And if everybody did that, we'd be in a much better position than we are, man. But yes, you and I both, dude, waiting to get back into those uh, to see movies again. All right, Suthius writes. Hey, gents, I'll be honest. I was kind of bored with Project Power. You and me both, Suthius. I did, however, like their take on how power is obtained, that the power is from a biological source taken from uh, offensive and defensive features of different animals. Other than that, blah. Yeah, that was an interesting take on it, Rob. Where it's I thought like so, too. Every power was kind of a derivative of a power found in nature. Now, they took liberties with that a little bit, like the pistol shrimp one was... They took some liberties with it, but still, I thought that was one of the more interesting facets of it, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I, I did like that because, again, it was plausible. It creates the verisimilitude of these powers, and I, I, I like that. It was cool. Yeah, I like that, too. All right. Next up, we got Ben Burnside who writes, hey, guys. Uh, I saw some YouTube clips of Predators the other day, and I am shocked that this movie is 10 years old. I realize that the movie is a big guilty pleasure of mine. The action is badass, and it's in the jungle. So Predators, if I'm not mistaken, that's the um, the pianist uh, one. Why do, I, why do I keep forgetting the name of the actor who won the Academy Award? For Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody, thank you. I Yeah, let's, I think you and I talked about that movie the other day. In the world of Predator movies outside of the original arnold film i think that's my favorite predator movie out of like other than the original arnold, i think that's my favorite one it's you know what it's better than a lot of people give it credit for and i have to say i i'm a fan of predator 2 but i know that they they cut a lot of of stuff out of predator 2 if i, I really would love to see a predator 2 director's cut if they ever made one, I don't know if it's possible, but I know that they cut like a half an hour out of that film, and uh, I would love to see it. All right. Next up, Willow writes, The Devil All the Time trailer. That's the, the upcoming uh, movie with Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson and Jason. I think it's Jason Alexander. I think that's who was in it. Um, the Devil All the Time trailer made me feel a bit, bit guilty because I think Robert Pattinson looks pretty hot as the psych, psychotic preacher. I do think that he feels very similar to Paul Dano's character. I'm excited to see Tom Holland in a darker role, however. So, Rob, what Willow's referring to there is I, I talked about that new trailer the other day, and I said it doesn't look bad. But there are two things that I couldn't shake about it. Mm. Uh, the one thing I couldn't shake about it was, number one, it's like, oh, look, the town preacher's the bad guy. Haven't seen that a million times before. <laughs> but the other thing was it felt like a – and again, this may be totally unfair of me, but it felt like a poor man's version of There Will Be Blood. And it, it just – I, I don't know. Like, the movie might be absolutely brilliant. I certainly love everybody involved. Did you have a chance to see this trailer, and what did you think about it if you did? You know, I did. I did, and I I like stories like this, you know, that sort of Flannery O'Connor kind of it, – it had a lot of elements that appealed to me. But again, I felt like it was a pastiche of a bunch of stuff I'd seen before. 
But that could be, I mean, a function of the trailer. I don't know much about it. Um, I hope it's good. I think the casting looks terrific. I, I'm curious to see how it all unfolds. I don't know if it's based on a book. I think it might be. Um, uh, but again, you know, I'm in. I will watch that movie. It made me very intrigued to see it. The cast looks great. Yeah, it does. All right, here's hoping. I, this is going to be. I think this is going to be one of those situations, though, where I think the movie is going to be like way better than the trailer was. I, I really got a feeling it's going to be quite good. Anyway, Uncle Effort writes, uh, "Like you, I was pretty mad on the first episode of Dark. Like three months later, I gave it another shot. Just finished season two, and my brain feels like a toasted marshmallow. Wow. Uh, when you get back to it, prepare to have your head bent over and taken with no lube. Yeah, listen, I was talking Rob the other day about. I am still stuck on the first episode. I." I I haven't gotten past the first episode yet. Now, I fully intend to keep watching Dark because everybody tells me it's absolutely fabulous. But I found the first episode so non-remarkable that I've had a difficult time getting motivated to when I sit down in front of the TV to put on Dark instead of, say, putting on the next episode of Kim's Convenience. If you're not watching Kim's Convenience, it's on Netflix. Go and watch it. It is one of the most delightful sitcoms I've ever seen. Anyway, uh, I, but I keep telling, hearing people, Rob, including you, you keep telling me how good this show is. Have you finished season three yet, by the way? No, I have not watched season three because I want Elizabeth to sit down and watch all of it together. We're going to, we'll binge the whole thing together. But it's, it's an amazing, very dense show. And it really requires you pay attention, but it's very rewarding. All right, let's move on here. Next one comes to us from Man of Steel Rules. He writes, Happy Monday, John. Happy Monday to you, too. One of mine and my wife's guilty pleasure movies is the film Lake Placid. I love Lake Placid! With Betty White and um, um, uh, uh, not Jane Fonda, Jane Fonda's daughter, uh, Bridget Fonda, and the guy who played, the guy from uh, Three Musketeers with Charlie Sheen and Kiefer Sutherland, he played... Um, uh, it's Chris, oh, not Chris, Chris O'Donnell. It's Chris, any, anyway, whatever. I love that movie. But the giant crocodile. Anyway, uh, one of my favorite guilty pleasure movies is the film Lake Placid. When we went to see it back in 1999, we didn't expect much, but we're pleasantly surprised how good it was, especially Betty White scenes. Uh, thanks and have a great day. Rob, have you ever seen Lake Placid? Oh, yeah. I like it. I love that movie. I think that movie is great. It's legitimately funny. I mean, today... The shtick of the sweet older actor breaking out some profanity, that's kind of been played a little bit. But when Betty White did it back in 99, it was still kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. It was so good. What, what stands out to you? What do you remember most from that movie? Well, I, again, the size of the alligator. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, 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 the tone of it, really. I, I mean, there's, there's something to be said. It, was, it wasn't totally serious, but it wasn't tongue-in-cheek like a sci-fi movie it still worked you know it worked it, it's horror elements worked and it i i think i didn't it wasn't a parody that's what i i that it didn't just go full-on camp and right. i like that about it by the way a bunch of people in the chat uh, in the live chat are reminding me that it was oliver platt oliver platt that was in that that was also in that three musketeers movies thank oh, you yeah. everybody from sean mann and elamic 316 and bunyan snappa and everybody in the chat who put it out thank you guys yes it was oliver platt thank you for that all right an anonymous viewer tips in 20 dollars. thank you so much for supporting the channel on that level anonymous we appreciate that man uh, i can't tell you how i know but your avatar video was dead on eerily so keep up the great work okay that's mysterious because i don't know what part you're referring to 
What part of my avatar video? Did you do a recent avatar video? Well, I did. So what I, and you know, I don't think you and I had a chance to talk about this. So we we're talking about the fact that, um, you know, it was announced the other day that Netflix and the original creators of Avatar, the animated series, who were oh, supposed the, to, I thought I was thinking James Cameron. <laughs> oh, no, no. I think who were supposed to be the showrunners for the new live action animated series have parted ways. And, you know, a lot of people are saying. And listen, I think all other things being equal, I wanted them on this show. I wanted them to be the showrunners of the show. I did. But a lot of people saying like, oh, this is apocalyptic. This is it. Not interested in the show anymore. Can't be any good unless the original creators are doing it. Eh. Stan Lee would like to have a word with you about the MCU. You know, if you think Stan Lee actually had any creative input on any of the MCU movies, you're sadly mistaken. And those turned out pretty well. No. But but, you know, Rob, one of the points that I made on it was that you look at Netflix's track record of creating live action series with maybe the possible exception of HBO, with the exception of HBO, they're the best in the world at it. They know how to identify and work great. Now, not, not everything they do knocks out of the park, but a high percentage of their live action series stuff whether the stuff that they produce in-house or acquire, they know what works and they have an incredible record. The creators of Avatar The Last Airbender have never done anything live action. And, you know, one of the things that I said on the show, Rob, and I'd be curious to know your take on this, was I said, you know, I really would have preferred to see them have the same attitude that Dave Filoni had with Mandalorian, right? Because you watch the behind-the-scenes Mandalorian documentary and what do you see Dave Filoni did you see Dave Filoni go, you know what? I know Star Wars. I've done successful animated shows. So I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I'm Dave Filoni, damn it. No, that's not what Dave Filoni did. What did we say, see Dave Filoni say? Dave Filoni said, holy shit, I have no idea what I'm doing here. I've never done live action. Thank God I've got John Favreau here to mentor me. Because when I saw Dave Filoni say that, I'm like, that dude? isn't going to be a good live action director eventually. He's going to be a great live action director because he has that attitude. And I really would have liked to have seen that attitude from the guys on Avatar. And my what I proposed was, and what maybe Anonymous is talking about saying how, how dead on I am, my thought was they are now two years into it. My thought is they were starting to do things that Netflix probably looked at and said, guys, that may work fine and what you're trying to do here may work fine in an animated show but that won't translate to live action and they probably felt like well if we can't do our vision we're going to walk away rob some people speculated that oh maybe netflix wants to put white people in the role eh, here's the thing they've been working together on this show for two years i guarantee you that was part of conversation number one it's like, okay, because they had done the M. Night movie, so it's like, hey, we had a bad experience with M. Night. They would have cleared up, do we make all the heroes white in this? They would have cleared that up day one, two years ago. If they didn't, then they're idiots and Netflix are idiots. So I think that was cleared up, but I've got a feeling they were just going in a direction and they were doing what they were strong at, which is 
making stories that would work better in animation and maybe not translate as well. And Netflix stepped in and said, guys, that's not that's not going to work. You have to take our word for it that that's not going to work. And I think at that point, they, and I'm just speculating, Rob, what was your take on that whole thing? Well, you know, I read an article. I read a, a, an analysis. I don't know if it was true or not, but it sounded legit to me. Uh, the parting of ways resulted because the Netflix wanted to age up the main characters, make the characters older, and they wanted to make the content much more adult, uh, up the sex appeal, up uh, just the, the, the content and age it all up and make the characters older. And that to me seemed the most legitimate and probably plausible explanation of the parting of the ways because, you know, Avatar, the last Ender airbender is what it is. And I'm like, you know, if you're going to make your main characters like what in college, <laughs> I think that it fundamentally changes. I mean, I'm sure certain execs are like, well, what's the problem? Why can't they be older? Yeah. Well, but here's, here's, here's why I don't buy that. Here's why I don't buy that because I'm a moron. And even I know that those conversations happen in our first meeting. This they've been working on these things. They've been working on the show together for two years, right? Like, I don't believe for a second it took them two years to go. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Time out. You actually want to have the characters that young. We didn't realize that. We've we've wanted to do, like I don't buy that it took them two years to figure that out. I, no, I think but I think those are conversations I, that happened two years ago. I, I think you that would be the, the I think that would be the, the the first inclination, and I don't disagree with you. But I'll bet you now Netflix, since they've started developing the show till now, have a lot more data and analytics on their audience, and when they see shows like say the Umbrella Academy connecting. Those characters are, are other than five, who's actually an old man, they're aged up a bit. And and I think that they to themselves, they're thinking, OK, if these characters are too young, we're not based on our analytics. We might have a problem getting the viewership that's watching other kinds of shows that are similar or something along those lines. So this was something that evolved out of, I think, a combination of the development of the show and the last two years of, of what they've seen that works on Netflix and what doesn't. And I could see them but uh, coming to the, the creators saying, look, this is what we, we know we need to do. And them saying, no, we can't do that. And there's a parting of the ways. Yeah, I, again, I, to me, that's just stuff that, I don't think they, especially since they just put Avatar The Last Airbender, the animated series on Netflix, and it was trending in their top 10 viewed things for weeks. And yeah, I so, know. Like, I, so I just can't see Netflix, like I, I just believe that Netflix and these guys would have known well enough that, that those would have been basic, the most basic level of conversations that they would have had years ago. And I just don't know. I, I but, but again, it then leaves, I, I just feel like what makes the most sense was that as they progressed, because if they all had a fundamental understanding of what they were going for and what they were doing, then as things start to progress and they see the creators kind of going one way, you know, I always go, there's this great part. It's, it's totally forgettable part, but there's, you know, a part in Avatar The Last Airbender where Aang comes across Katara in a body of water. He's like, hey, Katara, what you doing? And it's like, okay, that was very cute in an animated thing. If that was live action, we would all be rolling our eyes. Yeah. And I just have a feeling 
it was more of that. But maybe there are bigger things. Maybe a new exec came in at Netflix and decided he wanted Qatar to wear tight shorts or I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's anything's possible, but we've got somebody here saying that they can't tell me how they know, but I was close. Well, who knows? Who knows? We will have to see how this I'm just saying right now, all the reports I'm seeing about the real reason they left. I don't buy them. I'm not saying that automatically means they're not true. I'm just saying right now I'm in a position where I don't really buy that because it doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, Orange Hand writes, uh, I was chatting with my mom today about the Oscars, about what the Oscars can do to salvage its bleeding ratings. That's an, an exaggeration. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, and she thinks they should consider having no acceptance speeches at all. Finding an alter, uh, alternative means of thanking people. I doubt they do this, but your thoughts. Well, I mean, thought number one is there's this massive misconception out there that nobody watches the Oscars anymore. Um, in 2019, other than NFL championships, do you know what the number one viewed television event of the year was? It was the Oscars. I mean, so I'm just saying it's not that they haven't gone down by percentage points, but there is this impression out there that nobody watches the Oscars. Actually, other than Super Bowl and NFL championships, the number one television event of the year is actually the Oscars. I no, I, I Rob, I don't know. I I don't agree with the idea of getting rid of acceptance speeches because you know part of the thing was, you know when when so and so wins that award, I want to see their reaction. I want to hear their words. I I want now. I I want. You know, 90 seconds, period. That's it. You don't get to play over. We turn off your mic if you don't. But I I like, as a fan, I like hearing the speeches as long as they're kept relatively short. Like, thank you for this and blah, blah, blah. I, I kind of like it. Now, I did hear about an idea that was floated, Rob, that all nominees pre-record an acceptance speech that then gets played. Like, this is before they even know if they won or not. And then oh, they, man. Then they play that acceptance speech. My initial reaction to that is I don't like it, but but it, it's better than no acceptance speeches at all. So I don't know. The Oscars is to watch these stars. You get a glimpse of them. I I love seeing acceptance speeches and how they react. That's part of the whole appeal of the show. And man, can you imagine making all of the nominees uh, record acceptance speeches? That's brutal. That's just brutal to put somebody through that. Like you're actually forcing somebody to then really dream hard about winning <laughs> the most prestigious award. And then you're asking them to respond to all the people that they, they want to thank and their family. And then, I mean, and then they lose. That's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible to do that to somebody. I mean, logistically, logistically speaking, it, it means that they are fully prepared with the speech. It means they guarantee they keep it within the right time constraints. Um, I, I guess logistically, I can see an argument for it, but I'm with you. Like, I, I want to see that emotion. I want to see. Yeah. Like when, when Sally Field gets up there and says, you like me, you really like me. It's like, come on, that's you lose that, you know, or Jack Palance doing push ups, doing push ups, like push ups. I mean, come on. I mean, some of the great, you know, one of my favorite things to do now, John, is to go back and watch clips from the old Oscars, like before yes. I was even born. They're now the Motion Picture Academy is making them available. And you just get a glimpse a little bit, a little bit of an insight into people. No publicists, no studio marketing people.
you get to see some raw, uncut personalities of your favorite celebrities. And I love that. And I don't want that to go away. All right. Let's uh, let's move on here. Uh, Gabriel Reed writes. Have you ever checked out the Canadian TV show Flashpoint? I have heard of it, but I have not. Um, if not, it's on Hulu, and it's about the strategic response unit, and it's incredible. One of the main characters is in Wind River. I know the guy you're talking about, Hugh Dillon. Uh, as one of the security personnel, strongly recommend. You know, it's funny. A lot of great Canadian TV has fired up since I've left Canada. Uh, one is, why am I forgetting the name of it, Rob? That that funny one about the guys living in Saskatchewan. Letter Kenny. Uh, Letter Kenny, yes, Letter Dude, Kenny was one of them. That show is the best. That show is so funny. Um, Kim's Convenience, which I just discovered, like I've heard of it, but I just discovered it recently. One of my favorite sitcoms of all time. I, I'm not surprised to hear about it, but again, yeah, I don't get a lot of Canadian TV down here, and so a lot of the stuff. So no, Gabriel, unfortunately, I've not had a chance to see it yet. But maybe I will. Now it's on my radar. I'll keep an eye open for it on Hulu. Uh, MD writes. Hey, John, have you watched Dark yet? LOL, just kidding. I'm adding to the actor's age comments. In Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Sean Connery played Harrison Ford's father, even though in real life, ages were only 12 years apart and it worked fine. It did work fine. As a matter of fact, Rob, we were just talking about um, uh, Jensen Ackles going to the boys season three. And the guy who played his dad, uh, who played uh, the comedian in... Um, in the Watchmen, um, and he was just the villain in Walking Dead. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is 56 years old, who played the boy's father in Supernatural. Jensen Ackles is 42. There's only 14 years age difference. So it is kind of funny how you see uh, these things, but it, that's a good that's a good one to bring up, MD, that, that particular age difference there with, uh, with Harrison Ford and his dad. MD also writes... There's a 15 years age gap, age gap between me and my siblings, which meant I grew up watching films definitely not appropriate for my age. So I'm guessing your siblings are older than you. Definitely not appropriate for my age. When I was a child, I was an eight-year-old watching The Untouchables, just like a wop to bring a knife to a gunfight. Um, I was eight years old watching The Untouchables. Did you watch anything as a child you definitely should have, shouldn't have? I think yes. The one that really stands out to me Rob and I cannot remember. This is back in the day when mom and dad would take us to the drive-in. And my mom and dad took me to the drive-in. And I think they might have passed out. I, honestly, I think they made have fall, fallen asleep. Because And when I used to go to the drive-in, when I was a little kid with my family, they would play the double features. And hold a second. Let me look. Because I, I want to make sure this is right. Hold a second. Uh, young. Uh, let me just double check this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was young. I was young. There was a movie with Dabney Coleman back in the early 80s called Young Doctors in Love. Yep. And I think it was the second movie in a double feature. And I think my parents had like fallen asleep in between the movies. So I'm sitting and so I don't know what the first movie was because it was an R-rated movie. So I don't know what the, I can't remember what the first one was. But I remember as like a nine-year-old kid seeing boobs <laughs> on the movie yep. i'm like <laughs> young doctors in love rob can you remember seeing something that you really shouldn't have seen at a particular age yeah but it was extremely unpleasant oh uh, okay it, it was i spit on your grave oh that's harsh dude it was uh, to this day uh, it was it was probably even though i was watching it at home i, I rented the tape 
it was probably one of the singular most unpleasant ex- movie going experience or movie watching experience that I had. And my mom came down in the middle of me watching it. Woo. Yeah, it wasn't good. Yeah, that would have been unpleasant. All Bad. right. Next up, uh, D.A. Miller writes in. Hello, John, with the progress of the boys and the Mandalorian premiering a second season soon. One of my favorite streaming shows was Carnival Row. My wife loved that one. That's with Orlando Bloom. Uh, Carnival Row, a fantasy cast cross with 1900s England. Have you heard of any progress on a second season? Thanks for the filthy. I believe I heard. I believe I heard they were moving forward with a season two, mm-hmm. but I, I have not heard anything about any progress since. Rob, did you watch Carnival Row and have you heard yeah, anything I did. about a season uh, you know, two? Carnival Row was it was derived from a screenplay that uh, uh, Travis wrote, the same author that wrote Pacific Rim as a spec script. Um, and it was called A Killing on Carnival Row and Guillermo del Toro was going to direct it. I don't know, almost 20 years ago. And I was a huge, huge, huge fan of that script. And while I thought the series sometimes was hit and miss, for the most part, I thought it was really well done. Very sumptuous. I really enjoyed most of that show. And uh, they did. They certainly uh, did right by the concept. I can't wait to see a second season. I've heard that it got renewed. But again, with the world we live in, I have no idea when or if it's going to happen now. All right, now next up, and this will be the last one that we do with Rob here, MD writes, it really bugs me when people call Black Widow useless or say that all she has is a gun. She is a master spy and assassin. No one says that about James Bond or John Wick. Uh, I get that she's around superpower, so it seems weaker, but the slander is unnecessary. Well, first of all, keep in mind, MD, you can't slander something that doesn't exist. Black Widow is a fictional character that does not exist, so don't worry about her feelings being hurt. Um... I, I get where they're coming from because you can make a comparison to James Bond and John Wick, but James Bond and John Wick are not in the MCU, right? And I think, like, when I see, like, I personally love the Black Widow character. I love the Hawkeye character, too. But I will say that I have never really been interested in seeing a standalone show or movie about either Black Widow or Hawkeye, even though I love them in other movies and as a part of an ensemble. I love them in in Avengers and all that kind of stuff, but I like them in that role. I'm not terribly interested in the Hawkeye show, and I'm not terribly interested in the Black Widow movie, although it could be fantastic. We'll, We'll have to wait and see. To me, there is room for but one superhero who just has no powers and and that's batman uh you could say iron man's the same thing but they make him ridiculously overpowered with his magical nanotech suit so you can't even really count that but yeah i think that's part of the reason that there's something a little to me anticlimactic about the notion of a guy who's really good with a bow and arrow and which i guess is essentially green arrow too um or you know a girl who's really good with a gun when you're surrounded by the God of thunder or, you know, you're surrounded with these, uh, with these like supreme beings and stuff like that. There is something a little bit to it, but again, the black widows movie is coming. I think the trailers, I wasn't all that impressed with the first trailer to Rob, to be honest with you, but they've, the, the later ones grew on me and maybe it'll be the best MCU movie ever, but yeah, I, again, I, that's why I don't think the comparison to James Bond or John Wick is applicable because we don't they don't live in worlds where the God of Thunder uh, exists either. So it's, it's it feels a little anticlimactic to me. But 
We'll see. There are other examples, which is true. I'm not denying that. Anyway, Rob, when you think about the Black Widow thing, like where does that whole thing come into play in your thinking? We think, yeah, she's a character, but she's just a regular human being, yet she's extraordinary because of these other things. Like how, how do you see it? Well, I mean, you know, I think that that if you needed to, say, infiltrate an organization, the whole thing about S.H.I.E.L.D. is S.H.I.E.L.D. was around before superheroes were were all over the place since Thor made his appearance. So Natasha Romanoff is an intelligence operative, and it would be difficult for, like, Thor to be able to go undercover, (laughs) you know, or even Steve Rogers to be able to go undercover. I think Black Widow could probably still pull it off. And to gather intelligence, there's, I think there's, there's ne- it, it would be necessary, and I like the fact that you have Hawkeye and and Black Widow on the Avengers team because it grounds the team to humanity, and and I think that there's levels just like point. you have, you know, I mean it, it grounds them to humanity, and you need you need those ties, and even though Steve Rogers is a super soldier, look, one of my favorite scenes in Endgame was Natasha's leading the Avengers in Endgame, what, what's left during the blip, the five-year period of time, and she's holding it together. I, I don't know if Thor could have done that. You know, we needed someone like Natasha Romanoff with her empathy about humanity and what's happened with half the population of the world gone. Uh, I think that she, her function is is apparent, and I, I like her character. That whole anchoring being an anchor to humanity that's a really good argument that that's a really good observation but again look hopefully the movie will be amazing remember i wasn't looking forward to spider-man in the spider-verse either i didn't think that looked any good i was not excited about that movie and it ended up being my third favorite movie of the year maybe the same thing will happen again with the black widow film anyway rob thank you so much for spending some of your time here with us today we'll of course see you back here again tomorrow but in the meantime my friend where can people find you and your adventures online well, you can find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. And find me, of course, on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and its adjacent website, TheBurnettWork.net. All right. Thank you again, sir. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Have a good one. All right, sir. You too. Stay All right, cool. guys. With that down, let's keep on going. We still got about 20 minutes to get through more of your questions. So let's keep things firing here. Sam Phillip writes, hey, John, I have a question. Do you think we will see a Despicable Me 4? Yes, I do. Uh, if you look at the box office, since the first one made $540 million, the second made $970 million, and the third one made over a billion as well as the Minions. Also, hope you're staying healthy. Yeah, that type of math equals automatic another one. It just equals automatic another one. We are getting another one. Um, we're getting the young, younger Gru thing coming out here where he's, you know, the, the young kid with the minions and he wants to become, he's a, still aspiring to be the supervillain. But, and listen, I didn't like Despicable Me 3. I, 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 I was not a fan of that movie. Um, I wanted to like it because I've liked all the other Despicable Me stuff. I wasn't a fan of the third, but uh, I, I, they've already proved they can do some really fun interesting charming hilarious stuff with these characters so i want to see another one but yeah with money when you've got escalating profitability you know they're going to do more so absolutely is and they've got many more planned i guarantee they have many many more planned all right marie reich writes got back from vacation in atlantic city and boy did it feel different i feel very safe knowing that everyone wears masks socially distancing every other slot machine was turned off and the place was reduced capacity which felt good yeah you know I know, like, see, I'm obviously close to Las Vegas, and Ann and I love going to Vegas. We go about eight times a year because, you know, we it's just a 
three and a half, four hour drive from us or a, a literally a 30 minute flight. We just go to the Burbank airport, hop on a plane. We're there in 30 minutes. We love going out to Las Vegas. And I know the Las Vegas, they're doing a lot of things for safety procedures. But I, I just, I don't know. While I'm open to going into a movie theater where all the safety precautions are being taken, I feel a little bit less secure. And maybe I, I should feel secure. I don't know. But I feel a little bit less secure about going to Vegas as a whole right now. Like, I may drive there in two weeks just to go to the AMC theater to go see New Mutants. But I, I don't know that I can see myself going into a casino or going to a poker room because you guys, I love playing poker. I, I love, love, love playing poker. But I don't know if I can see myself going into a poker room or to a casino floor or anything like that right now. I just don't know if I can. Uh, and maybe maybe if I saw it once, I'd feel a lot more secure. Maybe if I had your experience, Murray, in Atlantic City, maybe if I saw that, I'd be, okay, this feels like they're taking some pretty good precautions. Maybe it's cool, but I, I haven't had that experience yet. So, But I'm glad you did, Murray. I'm glad you had a good time, dude. All right. Murray Reich also writes, here in New York City, the COVID-19 rate is down to less than 1%, which is amazing. But unfortunately, even with all the safety guidelines, we still can't have Reg uh, Regal or AMC open here, which is unfortunate because I would have loved to go see a new movie. Hashtag Empire 25 matters. Yeah, listen, I, I and again, I'm in the same situation here in Los Angeles. We're not going to have movie theaters open here in time uh, for New Mutants opening at the end of August or if Tenant does move ahead with their plans to open on September 3rd, and I have no reason to believe that they won't, but they're not going to be opening here. So that's why Rob and Aaron and I have been talking about, you know, in two weeks on the 28th when New Mutants opens, we may be getting into a car and driving to Las Vegas for the day just to go to a movie and see it there. So we'll have to wait and see. Here's hoping things continue to improve in places like New York. Hopefully they improve in Los Angeles and we're able to get these movie theaters open as well. Only when it's the right time to do so, though. All right, Murray Reich also writes, I finally got to watch the whole season two of Umbrella Academy. I love season two of Umbrella Academy. I loved it. Without spoiling anything, what did you think of the reveal by the board meetings that involves Daddy Hargraves? Did you like it or no? I was shocked. But listen, I it I remembered because I until that reveal, and again, I'm not going to give anything away for people who haven't seen it. Until that reveal, you forgot that in season one, there was that scene that shows him when he's younger and it's like on a different world. almost. It's like, what's going on there? And you see those rockets launching and all that kind of stuff. It's like when he was with that woman, it's like, what was you totally, I forgot all about that scene. And then when that reveal happens in season two, I'm like, Oh, maybe that's what that was talking about. You know? Hmm. So I'm with you, Murray. I love season two. And I, I thought the reveal was great. I can't wait to see where they're going to go with that in season three. All right. James Germain writes, Hey, John, just saw Lovecraft County. All, I, uh, all I've got to say is, oh, my God, wondering if you had a chance to see it. If not, will you, as always, keep the filthy? Listen, I was familiar with the show, but I had no desire to watch it. None. Then, yesterday, or two days ago, two things happened. One, I started hearing people talk about it and saying that it was fantastic. And then, two, my wife let me know that her friend, Jamie Chung... Uh, who was her sorority sister, uh, that her friend Jamie Chung is in it. Now, of course, Jamie was recently in um, that X-Men TV series, uh, Gifted. 
Uh, she played Blink in Gifted. I really like Jamie. She's, I think she's an insanely talented person. I, I love watching her and all the stuff that she's in. Uh, but Anne let me know that she's actually in that show. I don't think in the first couple, she doesn't appear to like episode five or six. But uh, so those two things have gotten me interested. I think I may have to check it out, James. I think I may have to check it out. Thank you for the recommendation. All right. Sock writes. So after you hyped it so much, I figured I'd sit down and watch True Lies. Nice. And holy crap, was that action-packed. Helen's fake mission was pretty weak and convoluted to me. But if that was the, the cost of seeing Jamie Lee Curtis dance, then I can live with that. I thought her whole thing was fantastic. L True Lies is my all-time favorite action movie. Because it's everything an action movie should be. Great action, great one-liners, mixed in with humor, I love that movie and Arnold and Jamie Lee Curtis in that together. Kill it. Kill it. Tia Correa in there kills it. Like when her and Arnold are dancing, forget about it. it is my all time. It's my favorite James Cameron movie. It's my all time favorite action movie. I think it's my all time favorite Arnold movie. I love True Lies. I'm glad you got on that, Sock, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. All right, Sock also writes, also saw Nightcrawler. Ooh, yeah, that one's great. I heard it was great, but that really blew my expectations out of the water. Also, does Lou kind of seem like he could be Arthur Fleck? Yes. Actually, when I saw Joker, I, th I very much thought, one of the big thoughts in my head was, this feels like it was influenced a little bit by Jake Gyllenhaal's character in Nightcrawler. It absolutely, I, I definitely felt those vibes. I'm not saying they did draw influence from it, but it feels like it did a little bit, right? Uh, not only does he look like him, but they both share certain similar behaviors. Yeah, again, that thought crossed my mind as well. I, I certainly felt like there was some influence there. By the way, one of the crazier non-nominated roles ever was Jake Gyllenhaal in uh, Nightcrawler. Him not getting nominated for Best Act for that was, it was a stacked year. It was a very, very stacked year. So somebody that shouldn't have been left off was going to get left off. That's just the way it was. There were so many incredible performances that year that there was going to be at least a couple of people that totally deserved a nomination that just couldn't get one mathematically. Jake Gyllenhaal not getting a nomination for that is crazy. Because he was, it's, it's, it's probably the best performance of his career. Uh, of a lot of people's careers. He was great in that. Anyway, the sock also writes, one other thing. I've uh, been watching The Expanse. Oh, I love The Expanse. And now I really, really want a Dead Space uh, movie slash show. I don't really enjoy the zombie genre anymore, but I think Dead Space could really do something different. Again, it's when it comes to stuff like that, it's really all about execution. Like We've seen great premises been turned into terrible stuff, so I don't know if a Dead Space is really needed. But I'll tell you what, though. Going back to The Expanse, the Expanse is one of those shows like Doom Patrol that was one that I was never really planning on watching. And then I heard everybody talking about it and telling me about how great it was. And like some people saying it's like their favorite sci-fi thing on TV ever. So I got into it and I've now caught up with the entire series and I love it. It's fantastic. I can't wait for it to come back. All right, next up. Uh, Fifty Shades of Geek writes, I've watched the first Pets movie. Nice, as per your recommendation. I didn't really like it. Oh, that's unfortunate. I, I really do like that first one. I think that first one's really charming. But I'm still glad I did. The beginning and the end that focused on the pets and their owners was worth the experience. I now miss my dear departed Cindy even more. Because I remember you writing in about that, that you just lost your dog. 
which I was really sad to hear as a dog person myself. But yeah, for whatever reason, not so much pets too, but the first pets I found really worked for me. It really pleasantly surprised me. And I don't know if people who aren't pet owners would nearly relate with it as well, but I know it worked for me. Uh, and, I, and I'm glad it at least worked for you on some level as well. It's a shame you didn't like it as much as I did. But again, condolences for you lost your pet, man. I, I know what that's like, and it's no fun. All right, Ryan Loner writes, one really underrated Lord of the Rings line, just for the delivery, is they they have a cave troll. Sean Bean doesn't even sound scared at all. Just, well, this is just one more pain in my ass today. I know it's great. Like, he's down, he's, he's kind of like shaking his head. Like, what else can go wrong? He's like, they have a cave troll. It's great. It's great. It's, the one unfortunate thing about the Lord of the Rings films is that there was no way around it because it, it is what it is in the books. But is that Sean Bean as Boromir could only be in one, could only be in one movie. That's the unfortunate thing. He is literary wise my favorite literary character ever because I'm a sucker for redemption themes, and the redemption of Boromir is like one of my favorite things ever. And it was the thing. There were two things I was looking for when I was going into Lord of the Rings. One was, do you make me feel like I'm in the Shire? And the moment this movie starts, I was like, oh my God, you have taken me into the Shire. It's amazing. But the other was that redemption scene. And they uh, they crushed it. They absolutely crushed it. And it's just a shame we couldn't have gotten, gotten more of Sean Bean in the rest of those movies. All right, 50 Shades of Geek writes, I also started watching Stargirl after so many uh, people on your show recommended it. I hated the pilot, but episode two was much better. And I'm going to keep watching and hoping it gets better. Yeah, I tried the first two or three episodes of Stargirl on um, on the DC, on CW and whatever. I don't even know where it is now. I don't know if they've is it moved over to HBO already. I don't know. Anyway, I watched the first couple of episodes. Did not work for me. I didn't think it was terrible. I didn't think it was awful. But it was just one of those things was, listen, I'm so far behind on things I do want to watch that if I give a show a few episodes and it's not working for me, I'm not going to continue to invest hours and hours into watching it. I don't owe any show anything. I don't owe that show a thing. If you can't hook me in the first few episodes, then then I got to move on to something else. Now, to be fair, one of my top three favorite TV shows of all time was uh, Star's Spartacus on the Stars Network. Spartacus is one of my top three favorite shows of all time. The first two and a half episodes of, of Spartacus is some of the absolute worst television you will ever see in your life. It's horrid. Like, just horrible. Awful, awful, awful. The only reason I stuck with it was because my friend, Aaron Cummings, who's on my show weekly... Uh, was because Aaron was on the show. That's the only reason. I thought, well, Aaron's in the show. I'm going to keep watching it. She plays Spartacus's wife in Spartacus. Uh, because she's in it, I'll keep watching, but that's it. And eventually, like around episodes three or four, it suddenly turned into some of the best television I've ever seen in my life. So yeah, there are examples of you got to stick with a certain show to get there. But at the same time, there's so much television these days. There's so much good stuff on TV. It's like you got to do a better job of coming out of the gate stronger. Because if you don't get me hooked in two or three episodes, I don't owe it to you to keep watching. 
I've got too many other things I can go and try. And that's how I kind of felt with Star with Stargirl. I, I gave it a few episodes, didn't work for me. But you're right, Fifty Shades. I keep hearing from a lot of people on the show saying they've they've watched the full, full first season. They're they're really enjoying it, and that's awesome. That's awesome. Just unfortunately, it didn't work for me. It didn't get me hooked. All right, uh, Zayn writes. Hey, John, I rewatched Gone Baby Gone. Such a great movie. Uh, that was uh, Affleck's, I believe, directorial debut. What a triumph of a directorial debut. Um, and forgot how great this movie is. Out of all of his directed films, what is your favorite of Ben's? Oh, that's that's easy. Um, that'll be Argo. And I mean, obviously, it won Best Picture of the Year. It won him Best Director of the Year at the Directors Guild of America. I, I just, yeah, but... All of the films that he's directed. I even like We We Live the Night or We Live the Night, whatever it is. Called. I even like that movie. I even like that. It wasn't anywhere near as good as his other ones, but I like that. So you look at The Town, Gone Baby, Gone, Argo. Uh, he just kills it. Anyway, and have you heard about the making of Chinatown film that he's doing? Uh, he has so many projects listed, but he's too busy uh, with uh, Da Hermes. Yeah, yeah, you'd be busy, too, if you were dating her right now. Um yeah, he's got a lot of stuff going, which, of course, Rob and I discussed earlier is one of the strikes against the the fan dream that we're going to see Ben Affleck come back as Batman. I mean, his dance card is really full right now. Um, I don't think there's any chance we see Ben Affleck back as Batman, but oh, my God. <laughs> Again, you want to see me piss myself? Finding out Ben Affleck's back as Batman. That'll make me lose total control of all of my bodily fluids. Because I love Ben Affleck as Batman. Anyway, uh, next up, Jorge Lugo writes, Hey, John, love your show. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. I'm from Monterey, Mexico, and I've always wondered why is Mexico most of the time shown in an orange or yellow filter in the movies? I think people actually think it's always orange or yellow here. You're not wrong. Yeah, like quite often, like even with something like, um, um, uh, What's the Denis Villeneuve uh, uh, hitman movie? Uh, Sicario. Like even when you look at Sicario and other things, they always color grade Mexico. Not always, but a lot of movies and TV shows. When something's happening in Mexico, quite often, not always, but quite often, they will color grade the movie to have this yellowish tint, this orangish yellowish tint, right? I think, and I don't know this for sure, but I think what they're going for there is like the heat of the desert of Mexico. I, I don't know what it is, but that seems to be a visual stereotype that they go for. So it's like when you're watching a movie like Babylon, it's like, okay, we're in Los Angeles. You know, we're in Los Angeles because we're color grading the scenes this way. And now we flash over into a scene in Mexico and you totally know immediately we're in Mexico because we're color grading it to like a yellowish and an orange. And I, I honestly, I don't know where that started. The only thing I can think of is my assumption is that they are visually communicating heat. <coughs> I don't know that, obviously, but that's the only thing I got. Is that they're trying to communicate like visually that it's a visual cue for it's hot. It's hot. You know, I, that's the only thing I can think of there. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, Jorge. Uh, listen, I'll keep that in mind. I'll ask the next, the next filmmaker I talk to. I'll ask about that. All right. The Lone Brown Coat writes, alternate caption for the Brandon Routh picture you showed on open mic. All right, that one. And another reason why Henry Cavill is the best Superman. Uh, no question. Just wanted to share that with you. As always, uh, love the show and everything you provide. Oh, thank you so much for that Lone Brown Coat. Nice little Firefly reference there. Yeah, so for those of you who didn't know, I showed this picture on my show the other day 
Let me let me see if I can bring it up. Just for those of you who may, I might have been on open mic that I did. I can't remember if it was on open mic or if it was actually on. Um, can't remember if it was open mic or actually on the um, on the John Campus show. But I'll, I'll I'll bring up the picture here just for just for fun, even though it's horrible. So <clears throat> I showed this. Oh, I remember what it was. We were talking about the tenth anniversary of uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And I threw a party uh, that year at Comic-Con and we were awarding, this was just a, a, like a week or two before Scott Pilgrim was going to open and they were debuting at Comic-Con and we were presenting uh, Edgar Wright. I, I got to present Edgar Wright with the first ever AMC film fanatics award. I, I presented to two people that night. Our first two recipients were Edgar Wright and Stan Lee. And they were both at this party of ours. And anyway, Edgar Wright brought along the whole cast of Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And if you guys remember, I loved Brandon Routh as Superman. Henry Cavill is my favorite all-time Superman. But I really loved Brandon Routh as Superman. Superman Returns has its issues. Make no mistake, it does. But Brandon Routh was not one of the issues. I thought he was wonderful as Superman. So I got a chance to hang out and chat with Brandon Routh. And... Well, I was joking with, I had somebody once caption this picture and saying, this picture looks like John is trying to teach Brandon Routh how to give a blowjob. And it really does. It really does. Like, that's what I'm trying to explain to Brandon Routh. Uh, there's no getting away from that. That's what it totally looks like. Uh, so, yeah, the other caption for the picture could probably be. This is why Henry Cavill is the best Superman. But I do love Brandon Routh, man. I, I love that dude. I think he's great. And the, the couple of times I've had the opportunity to get together and chat with him, always super nice, always wonderful dude. And uh, one of the main reasons why I kept watching Legends of Tomorrow was because of Brandon Routh. Anyway, okay, there's that. Let's move on here. Uh, let's see. That was the lone brown coat. And now we move on to Jesse who writes. Over the weekend, I watched my first DC animated film, Batman Year One, not a good one, and it was a waste of my time. I always thought you were being a bit uh, facetious when talking about DC animated films, but from my small sample size, I was thoroughly disappointed. Yeah, listen, again, I'm not saying other people have to feel this way. There's a lot of people out there who really like the DC animated straight-to-home video stuff. While there are a few things here and there that are actually quite good, there are a couple of things... Uh, that are actually quite good uh, under the red hood was great. There are a few things, but some people say mask of the phantasm that doesn't count. Cause that was actually a full theatrical release. It wasn't a straight to home video thing for the most part, DC and Marvel, by the way, don't let Marvel off the hook DC and Marvel straight to home video animated stuff is usually pure up shite, like just absolute shite. Um, just not good. And like Killing Joke. Oh, God, I remember watching Killing Joke and think this is garbage. Anyway, yeah, I don't like their straight to home video animated stuff. I wish I did, uh, but I don't. Again, there are a few exceptions. There are some exceptions that are quite good. But for the most part, yeah, that's that's kind of my take on it as well. All right. Next up, movies are awesome rights. My local AMC in Mesquite, Texas is showing Return of the Jedi, nice, and Black Panther and Dolby for 15 cents each. Yep, that's what AMC is coming back with. We talked about that the other day. Uh, each Thursday, Inception and Train to Busan in IMAX on Friday. So for all, a total of $20.30. 
best double headers ever. What are your thoughts and best double header? Well, I mean, double getting good double headers is not just about watching great movies. It's about watching movies that really complement each other as well. And by the way, for all we know, Incep- well, we know Inception is great. Oh, you're talking about the original Train to Busan. I thought you were talking about the um, the sequel, Peninsula. But that's a good double feature. Inception, Busan, great double feature. Listen, we've been talking about this for a few weeks, but one of the silver linings in this crap show of a pandemic is that we're getting to go back. If you live in an area where theaters are open, we're getting to go back and revisit some of these classic movies, some of these awesome movies, which we may never have been able to watch on the big screen again. And being able to go watch Inception again on the big screen and Train to Busan, I never saw Train to Busan on the big screen. I was a little bit late to the Train to Busan party, so I watched it on a home video. I would love to see that movie on the big screen. So that is pretty awesome, and I'm a little bit jealous. Movies are awesome that you're getting to watch it in theaters. All right, Bojacks writes, Good morning, John. Good morning, Bojacks. Did you hear the news that Jensen Ackles will be joining season three of The Boys? We talked about that right off the top. Nice to see he'll be following up his epic run on Supernatural by appearing on a show that's shaping up to be epic as well. Already excited for season three. Me too, man. And it's great because, you know, um, Jared Pilecki, he's already got, he's Texas Walker, Texas Ranger. He's going to be in the reboot. He's starring in the reboot of that. It's nice to see Jensen getting his next thing lined up as well. And the fact that he's playing a Captain America spinoff character since he was in the running to be Captain America before is pretty uh, appropriate, I think. I'm very, it was very, very excited to hear that news, Bojax. All right. Um, Estevel writes, so I watched Project Power. Not going to lie, I was entertained. Good for you, man. That's awesome. But that's all. I really love the concept, but it was so poorly executed. If I was Netflix, I would turn this into a series. Uh, there was so much to see. The possibilities are endless. I don't know if the possibilities were endless. Like, it just felt so, again, at a bad badly conceived thing is going to be badly conceived whether it's in one shot or spread over nine episodes i just found it very pedestrian i found the whole thing very very pedestrian i i wanted to like it uh, again it had its moments i didn't hate it i didn't hate it but just another quickly forgotten netflix original film you know it's it's really a shame, too, because they're so good at their television stuff. I wish they had a better track record of their movie. Again, and they knock it out of the park once in a while with their movies. They do. I just would love to see them get their movie stuff on the level with their series stuff. It would be really great to see. All right. Cliff writes, have you watched the first season of Perry Mason? If so, what did you think? I watched the first three episodes, and I didn't like it. Because when I was a kid, my mom would watch the reruns of Perry Mason all the time. And I, I really like the old reruns of Perry Mason. I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for these legal procedurals. Turning him to, into a private eye and all that kind of stuff, I don't know. It just didn't work for me. Again, I gave it about three episodes and then I had to ditch on it. So maybe it gets great after that, but I was not impressed with what I saw. All right, guys, listen. We're all out of time today, but for the Living Tribunal... Uh, and and run D uh, Bojacks and onwards. Do not worry. We will start off tomorrow's show with your live questions. So when we get to the live questions part of tomorrow's show, yours will be the first that get answered, and all the questions that got sent in will get answered properly. We're just gonna have to wait till tomorrow because we've run out of time today, guys. Thank you so much for being here, guys. Thank you to all of you for being here, and making this part of your day. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for being here. You'll see him again back tomorrow, of course. And a special thank you to all you guys who sent in the live questions, not just because he gave us great fun things to talk about. 
out. But you also supported this channel while you did it. And by the way, guys, don't forget, you can start sending in questions for the live questions part of the show right now at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. That will do it for me, guys. Do the four main important things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. My name is John Campion. Until next time, my friends, bye-bye.